Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Success in Finance. Joining me today is Gaurav Seth. So Gaurav was most recently FD of the Hive Group. So he's going to talk us through his career to date, um, starting at Deloitte and moving into their M&A team. He then went to Tesco where he worked as a uh, corporate finance partner and then moved into a finance business partner role as well. Um, after four years there, moved on to Serco, um, more commonly known for the London Cycle Hire Scheme or the Boris Bikes, um, where he spent four years as, in his first FD role um, before joining the Hive Group as the FD there, where he managed a post-merger integration. So key themes are going to be around the importance of understanding the business, and he really got that out of his pr- time in finance business partnering procurement uh, whilst at Tesco. And... Um, managing uh, the culture sort of differences um, as part of the integration. It'll also talk us through uh, some really useful advice on interview processes and making sure that you understand as much as you can out of the business and and the line manager that you're going to work with before you go there. Um, So it should be a great episode. You can also check out the Success in Finance blog and see confirmed future guests at successinfinance.co.uk. And don't forget, subscribe, share and comment. Thanks. Hi, Grav. Thanks for joining me this week on Success in Finance. How are you today? Very well, thank you. How about you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Um, thanks for joining me. And uh, yeah, if you don't mind, please could you get us started with a quick summary of your career to date? Okay, so um, as for me, um, so, so I'm a Big Four ACA um, qualified um, with and background initially in M and A before I then had my subsequent career in a variety of listed companies. Uh, most recently, as a divisional of, um, slash fi- regional finance director within a FTSE listed business. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, so you did a degree in PP from Oxford. Then, um, what sort of led you from there into accounting? Um, so yeah, I mean, people might wonder sort of what, um, how the segue between philosophy, politics and economics works towards accounting. And I think that the answer there is, um, it wasn't necessarily accounting in itself, but rather the ACA qualification. And for me, the ACA qualification, um, was something that would just sort of, um, give me an introduction into business. It's a rounded business qualification that would, open doors you know um let those throw on in my career um i think given the applicability i mean if i give examples of what my peers have done um since um uh, deloitte i think people have gone on to either sort of stay um um, within professional services and climb up through the audit ranks um people some people like myself have gone into industry others have gone into banking some have even gone into teaching so in a way Doing the um, ACA, which was the the gold standard, certainly when I left university, you know, getting professional qualification, getting that bit of additional thinking time whilst gaining practical sort of, you know, life and sort of work experience, um, you know, to to allow me to think about what I wanted to do um, sort of later on in my career was incredibly invaluable indeed. Um, No, yeah, that's a really uh, helpful summary and makes sense as to, to why you sort of chose the ACA and um, has it sort of lived up to those uh, those thoughts that you had going into it? 
Um, so I think in terms of the codification, um, definitely. I think um, uh, if you look in, in the marketplace sort of right now, I think having the ACA on your um, CV is um, definitely a plus. Um, and not just for me, but and again, um, I, I refer to some of my um, peers as, as as well. I know one person has gone into the um, civil service and um, having the ACA qualification, even though sort of he's doing something else, it still carries um, a kudos. So it's definitely a plus in terms of you know, elevating your um, CV in um, obviously what is a competitive environment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't agree more. So um, do you just want to talk me through your time in audit and, and what you were doing and uh, what what it helped you to achieve in terms of a foundation going into M&A and then beyond into industry? So I think my time in audit. So, I mean, number one, it served a practical purpose because um, you need to have um, professional, you know, um, practical um, experience in order to get the ACA qualification. Um, you have to, to do your uh, three-year um, training contract, and as part of that, you need to cover certain um, things. Um, so there's very much a practical element there. Um, but I think what I um, realised sort of later on in my career, I think the grounding I got in technical accounting, in financial controls, that audit sort of gives you has actually proven to be quite invaluable um but as i came towards the end of my time in order and so at the end of my training contract i knew that sort of, obviously whilst um people have gone on to have great careers in audit and well respected i became sort of more and more interested behind not just what the numbers were and how to necessarily sort of account for them even though um, that those have important implications. Um, I was very much more interested in, you know, the why and the so what. What's uh, underpinning the businesses behind the numbers? What's really driving those numbers? And I think it was that side of things that very much led me initially towards thinking about doing a stint in in M and A. Yeah, and then um, so going into M and A then. What did you yeah. pick up that, that was different to audit? And uh, what, what did you enjoy about that? So, I mean, the way I would characterise M&A and so forth, um, uh, our listeners, I think. Um, so I made the move across from audit into M&A transaction services um, within uh, Deloitte, which centres um, predominantly around sort of conducting due diligence on um, companies that are to be acquired. So um, going in, really examining the uh, the financials to help um, you know, acquirers sort of work out, well, are there any risks, any issues or any opportunities um, Indeed, in my company, it's almost like um, commissioning a survey um, 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 when you're buying a house. And so I think whilst I think audit was all about the what, I think my time in that space really much um, informed me, you know, the why and the so what. So um, what drives business, what drives the, the numbers, you know, how does... And what really underpins revenue growth for for you know for exa example sort of across different um, industry sectors 
Um, how do you dissect costs and how do you really sort of interpret in a, um, a balance sheet, for example, in a um, commercial way? So I think what that did was really sort of round the, the, the almost the, the, the technical skill set that I, I got from my time in audit and sort of overlaid it with very much a sort of um, a commercial understanding of the numbers um, so to speak along with an appreciation of how you know um, deals get done and how they're valued and so on and um, um, so forth yeah and and you mentioned the um, sort of getting commissioned as a surveyor being similar to working in transaction services and I, I've been given that example before as well where sort of the the um, M&A team are the estate agent in, in the whole process and the due, well, the transaction services or due diligence team are the surveyor sort of checking that everything you're buying is is as uh, as it's presented to be. Um, I think that, that is a really good analogy. Um, so being in transaction services then, I imagine, obviously you see a lot of models in audit and things like that, but it's probably um, the, the key thing is looking at models and sort of looking and, and questioning the um, the assumptions that are going into those models. Is that what you, you found the sort of what you were saying about the, the why and the, and the so what? Yeah, I think it's um, twofold. So, so number one, yes, you're very much looking at models and quest questioning um, assumptions. But then what you're also trying to to do is understand well actually why has a company grown um so you know whereas in your time in audit you're trying to perhaps sort of look backwards to to see you know do, do the numbers make sense more broadly um you know in order to understand for example why a revenue number is what it is whereas in transaction services you're you're trying to, to get into into the story so Revenue has grown. Okay, that's fine. But why? And it's and then encourages you to, to to drill down and to go for. Okay, well, has the number of units sold increased? Have, um, have they driven um, price increases? And if so, how have they managed to to um, to do that? Or actually, have they um, sold more units, but they've offered um, huge discounts, and then therefore that certain questions around um well uh, is that discounting um, policy um, sustainable and all those questions in, you know, impact upon you know the the long-term prospects and long-term value of the company so in a way it gets you thinking about a very different question set than you would do in in audits and under technical accounting Definitely. It just sounds from what you're describing to me, a much more commercial way of thinking in in the things that you're looking at, really. Completely. I mean, it's the um, same number. So you're still you know, uh, you know, um, reviewing um, a profit and loss account, you're reviewing cash flow, you're reviewing um, a balance sheet, but you're starting to and encouraged to look at those in a more commercial, strategic manner as an investor would do as an fd would do um so i think that was the main shift and the main difference definitely from my time in, in audit yeah 
cool. Uh, okay, so so yeah, by the time you'd sort of done a couple of years in M and A, you were a manager level, so sort of good level to yep. get to in in practice. And a lot of people don't make it that far before they uh, make the foray into industry. <laughs> um, so at that point, what was the driver behind you making the jump out of practice and into industry? And why did you go for the role that you did um, with the company that you did? Sure. So, I mean, the reason why I sort of left um, practice, I think, um, so the grounding I got was was great, but I think there was almost a sense that it was all, you know, um, uh, in the abstract um, or academic insofar as, you know, you're, a consultant working on on the outside and it was great experience you know working on these projects but it felt a little distance a little um uh, remote as in you weren't the one actually driving those numbers um and i think it became sort of clearer and clearer to me that actually what i wanted to do was get you know um industry side where i was you know he- involved heavily in not just reporting on numbers and commenting on numbers externally but actually getting in and helping to to drive those so um that sort of informed my move into industry and then so um my first sort of role was um joining the um corporate finance team within uh, tesco and tesco so, so um, in the um back in 2009 to so 2010 um Obviously, still now, now sort of um, large company. Um, back then, still looking to, um, very much to expand. And the role itself, um, that sort of in-house corporate f- um, finance team, was a, a really good um, uh, segue, if you like, between you know doing the transaction services type work and sort of um, into sort of a broader sort of corporate fi- um, finance space, which sort of involved a mixture of deal execution. Um, but also a little bit of strategy and business development uh, as as well. So having done a bit of time in order and a bit of time in M and A, it was a good, you know, first move into optimizing um, the experience that I, I'd built up um, to date. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you say there was a bit of deal execution involved. Um, can you go into a bit more detail around that and? I, I imagine you were doing both sides of the coin. So looking into potential acquisitions, doing the due diligence around that, but then actually, as you say, executing the deals too. Well, yeah, I mean, um, if, if I characterise um, de- the actual day-to-day job, you know, in the, um, what that sort of role involved, it was um, modelling, um, of course, a lot of um, financial uh, analysis and sort of preparation of um, board papers and why do I focus on on those last two because um, largely it was um, developing the you know the the analysis the articulation and the, and the the story and the business case um, you know when you're executing you know for, for example um, in a billion pound uh, sale and and uh, lease back tra- transaction you know, to execute that, you need, you know, board level um, approval, which in a large company like Tesco involves, you know, um, a large de- degree of analysis. Um, and again, as on top of that, you know, part of you know executing the, these deals is actually a lot of internal and external um, 
liaison. So working across um, and working with investor relations, working with um, you know, colleagues in, in treasury, in tax, in group reporting, because these big deals you know, impact so many other functions internally, but then also reaching out and working with banks and with legal teams um, to assist them and involve you know them in in our work because these large deals involve um so many different parties so there's actually quite a large um coordinating pieces as well which um actually what takes up all the um, um the hours um and the hard work in these sorts, sorts of deals yeah absolutely um and it, and it sounds like that's probably where you started to develop the business partner skills that that equipped you for for the next role and also the contacts to potentially move into that function too because you went into a group commercial finance business partner role yeah. next correct yeah it, it was so um i moved into a business partner role actually i'm supporting their um group procurement um f- uh, function and so i guess the idea um for that and and, and also um, within um the larger uh, companies i think that and particularly to tesco they were very good at um, rotating talents around the business um which is great for everyone because for tesco it means every couple of years to get a fresh pair of eyes looking at um each part of the business from a finance perspective but also in a large company it gives everyone the chance to look at sort of different parts of the business as well um, for me, and having done a, a big sort of group role, which got me um, to to see how a company like that operated at a group level, um, working with um, their procurement function um, got me involved very much at the coalface. Um, <laughs> so, sort of working across um, distribution, marketing, IT, um, very much you know looking at you know, what it takes you know to operate. A company like Tesco and certainly as you say I think a big part of the role was um, stakeholder uh, management not working not just across multiple business units but also working with um, non-financial stakeholders as well um, which was um, the next sort of step in my um, development after you know coming from practice working in um, quite a corporate sort of minded um, team in the um as a uh, a group level yeah and um yeah a couple of guests that i've had on previously have sort of emphasized the importance of of knowing um the operational side of the business and things like that so i can imagine procurement gave you a great opportunity to to see how the wider business worked rather than just being the finance um eyes on it yeah um i think it was certainly that it's actually um probably one of the um, steepest learning curves that i um, personally uh went on um it gets you thinking about a lot of things um actually, i remember what uh, my manager at the time sort of uh, said to me when i first entered the role and he sort of said you know you need to, to actually stay stay away from your seats as much as possible why because he wanted me um, absolutely out and about the business, talking to people rather than necessarily, you know, um, at my desk, sort of churning out numbers and and reports. Um, and yeah, those it's about getting out, talking to to, to people. Um, and what it also did was um, 
it really helps to clarify your own financial understanding because what you're doing is you're having to sort of influence and engage non-finance people for one of a better um, a better phrase um in in finance so it gets you thinking very hard on how you explain you know f- you know concepts that obviously you as an accountant or qualified accountants are very familiar with but necessarily someone from sort of it or marketing or a, um or, or a procurement buyer wouldn't necessarily be familiar familiar with and so you've got to explain things in a very clear manner um in order to be able to engage them absolutely um no i really like that 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 your boss sort of said stay away from your desk as much as possible so i i imagine that was a really um fun and interesting role getting getting out there meeting loads of people and um yeah lots of merits to be taken away lots of lots of notes lots to learn and i think it's an experience that um again i sort of learned from and that i've certainly sort of you know taken through my um sort of uh, subsequent uh, career and i think the key notes really to anyone it you know it's you know it's it's you know stakeholder management matters clarity matters you know um resilience uh, matters a lot yeah definitely um Okay, so so that was your four years at Tesco across those two roles. Sounds like you learned a lot of really useful stuff uh, that would equip you to go on to be a, a successful FD. Um, so yeah. you ended up at Circo as the finance and commercial director. Do you want to talk I... to me about how you ended up there? Yeah, sure. So um, just a sort of, um, context to uh, listeners. So um, I was... Um, Finance commercial director for um, Circo, which um, is a FTSE 250 sort of um, outs- public outsourcing business. Uh, um, and I was um, finance director for, for them on the contract that they had with Transport for London to operate the London Cycle High Schemes, um, or as people are perhaps more familiar with it, um, Boris Bikes. Um, uh, chose the role, um, A, because it was um, the opportunity to take on my first FD level role, I think. Um, B, um, I think working on something as iconic as um, the London Cycle High scheme was just um, tremendous. Um, Lots of stuff to get involved with. It was commercially focused, which was um, um, what I wanted and um also informed um you know the, the sort of career choice that i made beforehand but and i think which is critical um it was actually all about um, the people um so i met the um circo transport fd um, cfo met the um the, the cycle hire managing director and i think it was um there vision their energy and certainly the, the the vision and energy of the managing director along with the support that the um, transport fd was clearly g- g- going to provide you know to me in my first fd role that really encouraged me to um to take the opportunity on board i can't stress that enough that you can spend so much time looking at you know the technical details of a job but it does fundamentally come down to, to people can you work with people do you feel inspired to work with individuals or not 
Absolutely. And um, just refresh my memory, where about, so that would have been sort of six years ago. What stage was the London cycle hire scheme at? Would that, would that have been quite early on in its uh, sort of journey? Yeah. So the um, London cycle hire, um, I think it first it got off the ground back in 2010. So it was fairly early on in its op- operation. And I think it was fair to say, I think, so nothing like it had been done um, at that sort of scale or complexity anywhere within the world. And I think the guys who came into the before did a tremendous job in getting it off the ground. But I think there was a, a task there to um, demonstrate on the one hand, the uh, financial viability of that, the business, the contract internally to, to Serco and to drive um, improvements as well. Um which was sort of why sort of me along with other others were brought in, um, it, you know, uh, under the um, managing director to help sort of drive that through. And indeed, um, as my mind sort of says to me, sort of right sort of back in 20, um, I think early 2016, if my memory serves me correctly, um, it was due to go under, you know, a full um, rebid um process so really it was an interesting time to, to come in to really sort of help dr- you know drive a, a little bit of, of additional turnaround to gear the um the the, the business up for um uh, for rebid and to hopefully so sort of go on and, and win it absolutely um and you said it was a very commercial role and uh, obviously if you sort of taking on element going going into a bid um it sounds very commercial but can you just talk me through exactly the type of work that you did do there um sure so um you can sort of break this so um on the one hand yeah um it's, it's a case that it's a um any finance role you, you've got the finance operations aspects of it and that's really important important so it's obviously standing over sort of you know month end budgeting reporting um uh, liaising with uh, auditors you know get getting through you know the half year full year um audit all of that's absolutely crucial stuff and i think we had a um, IFRS, um, I think um, fifteen um, implementation, sort of, um, at, you know, at, at the time, as well. But then, if I look at my day to day to day job, um, a lot of that was you know, involved in, you know, um, reviewing um, and sort of signing off on investment cases, business cases, um, um, get, getting involved in sort of contractual negotiations um, with either Transport for London or perhaps with the main uh, um, and actually as um, a finance you know, director um, something that people may not appreciate but um, you're a member of the senior management team or effectively the board so you have much broader responsibilities um, um, across the business including you know spending time on the um, you know on the shop floor or the uh, or the um, the mechanics um, sort of uh, workshops um, doing sort of health and safety tools and so, and, and so on and so forth. So um, there's an overarching sort of general business sort of, sort of role, role that um, actually sort of features in a lot of FD roles because FDs um, are sort of key members 
of the board. So it didn't end up just being a narrow finance and commercial director role. It, um, these roles end up being about actually sort of general leadership and you are a key member of a board or a senior management team and that's how how you are seen in the business so it means your outlook suddenly although you are the fd you need to be more minded about what's going on across the the broader business definitely yeah and um just going back to that sort of sitting on the board and and being a real leadership figure how were you influencing the decisions that were made with the sort of finance elements um, in your armory? Um, so, I mean, it's it's interesting you you said. So, it's not about um, you, you know uh, lots and lots of analysis and lots of you know churning lots of metrics. Um, the technical side is important, but it's perhaps more important about um and I, I think the the biggest sort of learning for me initially in that in the first sort of few, few months of that role was trying to find you know your your voice as a an, an fd so what are the principles and the values that you find important what are you interested in um what do you as an fd want to see and um want to sort of improve on so when you're reviewing a, a business case you can see a, a metric actually what is it within that metric that you as an fd are focused on because you know um people in individuals will look at numbers in different ways and extract different meanings and it's often down to um people's preferences and in you know, a their own value sets i mean to give you and Example, uh, some people, you know, rightly will look to um, sweat to, um, you, know, you know, drive immediate financial returns. And I think what I realised about sort of myself, I had a, a, has a more sort of longer term view. If people could persuade me that there was a longer term benefit, let's say, to investing, um, I don't know, for example, in additional vans for London's uh, psych hire, that would sort of generate overall returns. Um, to um, the, the business, you know, either through efficiency or, or the ability to, to 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 sell more, then it's something that w- that you should look look at. So um, it was a really important time, I, I guess, for me to work out, yeah, as an FD, what my voice would be, um, and I think that's the sort of th- sort of area that's actually quite interesting quite fascinating yeah and that that's interesting um to hear it hadn't really crossed my mind because i guess if you're in a company where you're the fc and you get promoted to fd you sort of see what the fd before you've done um and you know you, you can follow their lead to an extent but stepping in to your first fd role you have a bit of um working out to do as in just understanding what your role really is as the fd because you've never done it before and um yeah so, so it's good to hear yeah uh, yeah i mean I'd, I'd i'd say i think you technically know what what the, the role is um and you, you you know you've seen others do it and you perhaps have a view 
but it's about it's identifying you know the sort of fd you want to be it's you know what are your values what are your principles and and also how you seek to engage with with others um and uh are, are you going to be the, the sort of fd that's going to be sort of quite authoritarian and that's and there's nothing wrong with that you know depending on the the context or are you going to be a more social um fd and i think that softer side it almost sort of invites you to reflect on and i think you know particularly leadership roles um uh i think having that self-awareness of who you are and what your preferred style of communicating and expressing and engaging is is really key because i think part of influencing and leading is about being authentic um authentic to to you and um communicating in a manner that's easy and um meaningful to you because if you are engaging in a style that's alien to you you're not going to come across well and you're not going to certainly not going to influence you know other senior stakeholders across um, the business yeah exactly um yeah you're not going to last long sort of keeping up that mask either are you it will fall off eventually um no so that's great advice um but yeah so sounds like again um a really great role and learning opportunity sort of that first fd role um so after your time at circo then you, you moved on to the Hive Group uh, as a divisional FD. Um, what was the logic yep. behind that move? Um, so I think um, so with uh, Circa, the, the role naturally came to an end. Um, so we were um, successful in rebidding um, for London's Cycle Hire and indeed transforming the business, um, uh, you know, Overhauling the IT estate, new bikes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the um, the value of um, the co- uh, contract sort of um, uh, reduced. The scope of the, of the contract that Sega had um, reduced, and so with the business getting smaller and with a lot, lot of the issues being sorted out, I was looking for something um, more, something bigger. Um, I think Circo, great company, but I think um, given they, they were going through through um, finance transformation, there was nothing quite there for me that was you know, a bit big enough um, for me to um, move on to. And with Hive Group, and I almost sort of touched back on what I said sort of earlier about with Circo. I mean, on the one hand, the role was um, looking after an international um, division, um, concentrating on post-merger integration, um, you know, things that would sort of augment my, uh, my my career, definitely. But again, it was fundamentally about the people I met. Um, met uh, the CFO, the Chief People Officer, the Divisional Managing Director, and even had um, um, a peer meeting with the um, um, Grip Financial Controller, um, who's um, who, who uh, was um, a peer of mine on the um, finance leadership team, and it was the the the, the cultural fit um, with you know meeting you know th- th- those people that um, drew me towards the organisation, and it probably reaffirms what I said about my time in um, Circo that you can 
think about all the technical stuff uh, when you're coming into a role, but ultimately you work with with people, and that's what that is. People people attract people at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, now that again, yeah, people. That's something that throughout my career I've seen as well. Like you, you do buy into the people, and that, again, that's why I've taken on um, the roles that I've taken on in my time. Um, they sell the role to you, you buy into them, and and that's how it all works, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I think you can almost sort of overanalyze um, career choices um, uh, sometimes, but. Um, and this is probably the um, advice I would give to people who are li- listening. I think um, when you're attending an interview and, and a meeting, just to reflect on the fact that the person that you're, you're seeing, you know, will end up being your line manager, your boss. And you've got to ask, ask yourself, is that a person I want to work for? Um, so you should be attending an interview very much with you almost interviewing the company as well as the company interviewing you. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it, and it is something that particularly, I would say, in the earlier stages of your career, you you do overlook that fact. You just think, I want to make a great account of myself and impress these people interviewing me. But, I mean, you, you may disagree, but I, I was probably like that earlier on. I mean, if you've got a few options, you do weigh up the culture fit. Um, but as you progress, it, it definitely becomes an essential sort of factor in the whole process um, making sure that you get on with it. I think it, I think it does. Um, but the, the one thing I would say is um, any manager or any organization worth their salt will welcome challenging questions at interviews. Um, indeed. I think when I interview, um, I almost sort of, judge candidates by the quality of questions that they ask me i want to be questioned i want to be um probed um about you know perhaps some of the tricky areas that they've um seen um i want them to ask me about my management style um and so for people who are listening i mean if a company that you're interviewing with is receptive to those questions and i think that's a good sign and if people are more defensive when you ask those questions or they be you ask them in the right way of course then it perhaps may be a, a flag you need to pay attention to yeah 100 percent. um couldn't agree more so yeah having joined hive group and once again bought into the people um what what were the sort of challenges there and what did you enjoy about that role and what did you get out of it? I know you said you're involved in a sort of post-merger integration, um, which must yeah. be difficult but, and interesting. Uh, it's um, challenging, certainly. Um, and so having sort of done sort of the, um, my experience on sort of due diligence and a bit of dinner execution, I think the post-merger integration was is almost the, the final bit you know um, for me in terms of my overall M&A experience and I think it's perhaps the most important bit as well because you, you can uh, because the, you know conducting these um, you know deals is the, the big sort of headline stuff the actual work and the, the actual value realization comes with what happens up, um, afterwards 
um, which is about making these deals work. Um, and um, so I think with post-merger integration activities, you've got um, investment cases to d- deliver. There's often um, s- systems m- migration, which, you know, or, you know, both of which happen. But I think the real sort of challenge that sort of overlaid both of those is the um, the, the cultural aspect, because um, when um, companies are taken over, it's massive change. It's a massive change for um, the people who are coming into a new um, company, um, different ways of working, different ways of doing things, new people, new environments, um, and um, change is hard. Um, people have their questions and their issues with change. And so, especially when you're trying to integrate um, an acquisition at pace in order to deliver the results that your shareholders want to see, um, but doing so in the background of managing people through such a vast change is, um, is a tremendous task. And it probably does link back to... Uh, and you certainly have to draw upon all the stakeholder management um, sort of experience that, that you've had sort of earlier on in your uh, c- career, because, you know, you, you certainly don't rely on um, authority and hierarchy to get things done. You know, you, you talk, you listen, you engage, you, you know, you encourage, you, you know, you nudge, perhaps you nudge strongly in some <laughs> cases. Um, but um yeah, it involves sort of all the skills that we've um, spoken about um, earlier to 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 get things done. Yeah, and it's uh, exactly what you say. the The headline is the the M and A activity, but people mm. probably don't appreciate um, the other things that go on behind the scenes once that's happened. So, mm. um, like novation of contracts, system migrations, like you said, all those things take a lot of work. And um, yeah, but what you say about the culture thing is is definitely something that resonates with me. I mean, when I joined mm-hmm. BDO as a graduate, they had literally just mm-hmm. gone through um, a merger with PKF, and mm-hmm. obviously I was just new to the business, so I didn't really appreciate exactly what had got, gone on. But you later learn that uh, people didn't join BDO; they joined PKF, and therefore they're not happy necessarily being in a larger business and. You get people that move on and uh, same when I went into industry later, they had just gone through an acquisition, culturally um, quite a different business. And um, as a result, even to the extent where people still stay in their own teams and there's really little interaction, even though you sat five yards away from each other in the same office. So really um, good that you brought that up because I think it's something um, massively noteworthy. Yeah, and and it's it's another aspect where yes, you're you're an FD, um, and yes, as a result, you know you're involved in as you say, say the partial innovation of contracts and system migration and realizing investment cases. But as a result of being involved on those, you're also involved in these broader, big people changes, and you have to be able to deal with those along with the technical aspects of the job and if you're not doing that side of things as, as you know as well then um you're not really fulfilling you know the, the 
the broader, almost sort of unwritten part of your your role. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and whilst you're at Hive as well, I think we, you responsible for sort of building a finance team around you there. Um, and... Yeah, and um, so I mean, um, so the um, the division that I t- sort of um, took over, um, it was you know it scaled up massively because of these acquisitions. So. Um, it was sort of largely sort of um, um, taking you know a team that was there previously. Then um, other people sort of came in on on board, you know, plus some external hires. So then, um, and then all of a sudden, you had effectively sort of a brand new team sort of pulled to together, just as a resulting from you know um, a combination of different businesses. So you're right in that um, the challenge there was to sort of take perhaps um, a you know, a group of disparate sort of people and sort of trying to knit that, you know, together, you know, um, you know and towards a, a, I wouldn't say a proper team because people were working sort of, you know, as, as they were beforehand, but certainly to um, unite, you know, the uh, those individuals um, together into a brand new divisional team that was all sort of pulling together towards sort of achieving the overall divisional aims. Yeah, and and what were the rewards then of of ultimate sort of bringing all of that integration together, um, getting that team to work together um, at the end of it all? Once you could see it working as you'd planned from the start. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's like, well, something that it's um, uh, challenges. I mean, it needs you know some more investments and so on and so forth. But I think, um, I think the the pleasing things sort of was you know certainly by the end of um, the f- financial year we were able to report a not just the the um integration had been sort of completed um but also um the you know the, certainly the, the profit targets had been hit and um able to communicate towards the city that it, it had been successful and and i guess more importantly that um, there was an increasing sense that um, uh, you could move on to something resembling resembling uh, business as usual, that you'd done some hard yards in terms of setting up reporting, et cetera, et cetera. And now you could potentially move, although there was still quite a bit, a bit of work to do, in towards um, a steady operating rhythm, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that that does make sense. Um, so, was there anything else you wanted to pull out of your time at Hive Group um, just before we wrap up? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, we've we've, we've spoken about building a team and um, the post merger integration experience. Um, I mean, what what I think what it also sort of was sort of. In, um, sort of you know, during the period of time was um, high growth as 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 well, and so um, managing um, a company through high growth is um, tremendously you know rewarding, although be it cha- challenging, because the focus and the attention to detail that goes into driving performance, particularly sort of you know, we've spoken a lot about sort of. Um, M&A, but to actually drive growth organically 
you know, it it does mean sort of going through the nuts and bolts of, um, you know, um, you know your products, your events, your pr- pricing to really put push it on. And I think seeing what it takes to drive, you know, rapid growth is was quite an invaluable experience. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, anything going through a high growth must be a, a yeah. big sort of learning curve as you but go through. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, then. Um, so, look, I guess a question I'd like to ask is, have you got any advice that you would have given your younger self knowing what you know now or that you would give to anyone who's looking to follow a similar path to the one that you've um, pursued? I think um, it's for two two pieces I, I would say. So I think number one, and probably um, something that I've sort of lent on to sort of later on in my career, but perhaps I, I could have done sort of earlier. I think it's that um, self awareness piece. It's um, understanding you know yourself, um, what motivates you, the environments that that you want to work in, how you behave in different um, circumstances is key. Um, because if you get that, then I know that there's a lot of talk you know, th- these days about um, developing your areas of, for development, and that's important. But what's also important is understanding your, your, your strengths and your preferences, because I think that your career path should be centred, you know, around what you identified to be your your core strengths because if you do that um and sort of within finance you know there's such breadth that you can pick any number of paths that would fit you know your your strengths but if you do that you'll not say guarantee success but the chances are you'll probably be more successful happier and so on and so forth um uh, and, and so uh, having sort of decided sort of earlier on that um, what was important for me was to focus on um, aspects you know that were perhaps more commercially driven or or um, roles that were where I could genuinely add value um, it's meant that I've you know for, for me I've had sort of careers and roles that have been sort of you know uh, personally sort of uh, rewarding and um, f- fulfilling uh, the other aspect I would sort of say is, which is going to be true, I think of finance professionals sort of going forward, if not now already, is um, I think clarity is and communication is everything. Um, um, being able to communicate what the numbers are and what they are saying in a clear manner um, is probably one of the main differentiating factors in getting you further on and on in your career. Uh, as I think one boss, sort of former boss, sort of told me, the way to come across as being intelligent is not to come up with lots of, you know, intelligent ideas or sort of um, different sort of ways of showing data and so on and so forth. It's actually explaining complex ideas simply so that a person feels smart for understanding what you've said. And that's probably the biggest piece of advice I, I can pass on. I, I love that. I think that's a phenomenal piece of advice. Um, so, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, 
yeah, so clarity and communication, um, as well as the sort of self-awareness piece. I like that. Um, and then finally, I, I guess that segues nicely into the three key attributes that have enabled you to be the success that you've been to date. Um, so I'll probably say, um, you know, clarity. Yeah. N- number one. Um, I think that's something I've definitely focused on a lot. Um, so it's only sort of later on. I think number two, um, I think just being proactive. And what do I mean by being proactive? It's just, um, you know, at the right points, it's taking the lead, taking the initiative because that opens doors. Um, it's and not being scared to do so. And I guess number three is... Um, it's having the resilience or the courage to sometimes step out of your comfort zone. So doing roles that perhaps uh, may push you, it's stuff that hasn't you know, perhaps been done before, but if it makes sense for you to do it, um, then you should absolutely do it. And I'll probably um, reference my sort of first sort of business partnering roles for you know for, um to use as an example because i think my career today had been quite corporate quite technical um but that was a, a move i had to make in order to um have the sort of c- career that i um I, w- I wanted to to have yeah no i really like that so um yeah the three clarity uh, being proactive and then having the resilience and courage to step out of your comfort zone. And yeah. uh, what you say on that is there's a there's a quote that I really like that's, um, I think it's, to be something that you've never been before, you have to do things that you've never done before. And yeah. I think that epitomises what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, and it perhaps touches back to towards, um, uh, you know, when you're interviewing for roles, making sure um, you've that, that there's a, um, a fit with, with your manager and so on, because I think it's important, you know, uh, when you're taking a risk that you know you have the right level of um, support as well, and that you've got some people there who are who, who are prepared and who are able to coach you as as well. Um, so again, I think um, having the courage, if you like, to be able to ask questions of the people who will be um, managing you or sort of leading you is really key absolutely absolutely all right well um no thanks a lot for your time god i really appreciate it and there's definitely some really useful practical advice that you've given us um and the listeners to to action there so yeah thanks very much for for coming on no problem at all thanks thank you bye So that was Gaurav Seth. I hope you enjoyed listening to Gaurav's story. Um, I think he gave us a lot of interesting points around the importance of clarity and self-awareness and understanding your own strengths and preferences um, to direct your career route. He also gave us some really helpful insight into um, the interview process and how you can actually overthink a role and that it is just important to make sure that the people you're working with and learning from are uh, people that you get along with and uh, can see yourself working with. 
So that's a crucial part of the interview process. The three key takeaway points that Garab provided us with are that, that point around clarity and being able to communicate um, in a nice, concise manner. Um, as he mentioned, one of his former bosses said that um, being intelligent is having the ability to communicate um, complex ideas in a simple way that makes the person you're communicating to feel intelligent. Um, I really like that. And the other two were being proactive, um, putting yourself forward for things and not being afraid, um, and then th having the resilience and courage to step out of your comfort zone. Um, as always, don't forget to subscribe, share and comment. And you can find the Success in Finance blog, as well as a list of confirmed future guests at successinfinance.co.uk. Thanks.